right, welcome to the podcast today. A great guest. Uh, it is 111 in Podcastville on Tuesday, July 26th. Do you remember several weeks ago I told you I got to see where they keep all the signs, where they make all the signs, they keep the signs, they retire the signs that are no longer in use for the entire area. Streets, uh, highways, roads. Sean Burnett. Uh, he, I got to visit him with my friend uh, Jenny from Engage Toledo. She made that great introduction. We had a phenomenal discussion uh, just about driving and safety and transportation, not just here in Toledo, but from New York to LA and all across the country. Sean is a wealth of knowledge. I got to visit him. I asked to have him visit me. As you'll hear, uh, this is uh, an interview that's going to run on the contact program, our community affairs program that runs Sunday mornings across all of our Cumulus Media Toledo station. So as you might hear the shift, the first 20 minutes or so were real nuts and bolts. Then we open it up a little bit for a bit more uh, opinion, pontificating, and theorizing. It is a phenomenal discussion. I'm so so thankful to have had Sean be able to make some time and drop by. And I'm always welcoming of uh, East Coast Transplants. He's originally from D.C. And as we'll both talk about near the end of the podcast, you want traffic? He'll take you to D.C. and he will show you traffic. Um, quickly, not sure if you've heard much about this, uh, but there was a little thing, and I'm glad that our local news uh, station, 13 TOL and The Blade, all picked it up. Um, we've had uh, Dan Ortiz, who ran for council, uh, is also running again in the upcoming um, elections uh, against someone who he helped out, um, Dr. Michelle Grimm, who was also on the podcast and a great guest. And I thought very highly of her. I think very highly of Dan. Um, I have no qualms saying he is a friend. Um, there were apparently some mailers that went out that people received. And uh, Michelle, who is running for the same congressional district, I hope I have that right, against Dan. Um, this was this was known weeks and weeks ago. And I, I thought, okay, you know, friends can run against one another and, you know, made the best person win uh, in the eyes of the voters. Well, the mailers that were sent out were quite incendiary towards uh, Dan and some of the ways he voted. I think he used the word sensationalized. And I was quite frankly stunned. I did not see it in the character. What little I know of Dr. Michelle Grimm, city council person Michelle Grimm, who would um, turn to negative advertising, especially at the local level. That's not something you see often. Now, look, the world is on fire. Um, but in a way, the tone of these mailers were almost like treating Dan like he was some capital insurgent MAGA-loving human. Not at all. They have many of the same views, I believe, or at least they're of the same mindset. Like I said, I expected this to be a race of Michelle going out there, um, claiming what she does best, how she would run things. Dan does the same thing, as opposed to attacking the other person. So I was very disappointed. Most disappointed... Look, I understand the world that we live in right now, and you never truly know somebody. Um, after Dan... Uh, finished where he did and did not advance in the city council race. Uh, Michelle did. She did really well. Um, Michelle had Dan come work on the campaign because Dan was Dan was a master of knocking on doors. And forget about whether you're running for council or selling Girl Scout cookies. That's hard. We don't like talking to strangers. And Dan seemed to be really good at that. I, I admired the hell out of him for just going all over the city, knocking on doors, saying, hey, I'm Dan Ortiz. I'm just like you. I want to do what I can on city council. Um, I believe the tweet has been retracted and there was some type of apology, though there should really be a public one since the whole story is out there now. But Michelle's husband said that they gave Dan a job out of, it said, it's charity. A very poor choice of words, in my opinion. Um, I don't know what the more appropriate word could be, but charity makes it seem like they they did Dan a favor where from all accounts I could tell, the dude was working his ass off to get Michelle um, where she was. And because that's just a good kind of person that Dan is. Dan does not need charity. Um, the word that pops into my head would have been, um, it was a gracious offer they extended to him. Uh, a welcoming offer. Charity? 
poor choice of words, in my opinion. It does seem to be cooling down a little bit. I'll keep you updated. Um, Lots of information here, including why you need circles and roundabouts, but not from me, but from the man with the information and the data. Sean Burnett, Commissioner of Traffic Management here in Toledo. What is, what's your position and title again? Uh, So right now I'm the Commissioner of Traffic Management. Okay. Yeah. That does not impress your friends, right? Uh, it's a new title with the restructuring. Um, you know, we restructured to be a full-service DOT. And I used to be the commissioner of transportation, but we had to make some changes because we now have a director of transportation. This is, we officially began because I love the way that you answered that. <laughs> um, well, thanks for taking some time to be here. Sean Burnett, It's uh, it was good to connect with you at, what building were we at a couple of weeks ago? We were at my building, which is like the, uh, I believe... In, in the city, we affectionately refer to it as the sign shop, but it's uh, it's actually the house of the transportation um, division, which is now traffic management. So um, what that entails was what is traffic management, I'm assuming, would be the next question. Sure. Like, <laughs> what, what do you do? Because no one has any idea. Like, if you walked up if you walk up to a girl or whoever at a bar and you're like, I am, I am this, they probably have no idea what you do. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> yeah. T- transportation... Um, uh, is not always the sexiest subject. I think it's really sexy. But the, the building is sexy, and I'm not don't a, lie, Eric. The, uh, the, 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 the signs are sexy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so so what we oversee um, is within traffic management, we house all of the transportation planning. So that's both long term and short term. Um, that includes everything from. Uh, you know, uh, trying to take the litany of like city master plans, neighborhood master plans, and adapt them to ongoing construction projects and things of that nature, as well as the short-term projects that are sometimes more policy-focused, sometimes more safety project-focused. Um, we do a lot of grants. Uh, we facilitate a lot of the grants at the state and federal level. We also oversee all of the long line painting and the maintenance of the long line painting. That's like your yellow center lane lines, mm-hmm. your hash mark lines, your crosswalks, you know, all of the other stuff where the street gets painted. We do all of the signs. So every time uh, somebody in a, you know, uh, a, a Hemi Dodge runs over a stop sign, we have to go out and replace it, um, you know, repair it. We have to make sure that that infrastructure is is working all the time because it's bad. Accidents happen if we miss a stop sign, right? Um, We also oversee all of the signals in the city. We have roughly 260, uh, give or take, signalized intersections in the city. We have an engineer uh, team, engineering team, that does all of the timing for all of those. They're all computed here and then we have another team that goes out and basically each of those is powered by a small computer which are in those little boxes those silver boxes you see by the next to every Mm -hmm. intersection that's where the computer goes that has the program that we programmed on it Um, so that's pretty much it that's kind of all the stuff that we oversee signal maintenance signage street painting planning super technical uh a short version might go around the way of you keep traffic moving, right? Sure. And and not not to oversimplify it, um, it's funny. I I was almost going to send you this because um, I I thought it, we had a great discussion when I got to visit. There's an article on Vox that I just read yesterday. The deadliest road in America. Mm. Did these kind of things ever strike you? Do I ever read those articles? Uh, Things like that. I mean, it's not that sensationalized, but now I know never to walk on I-19 in Florida. (laughs) Um, Florida, uh, yeah, Florida's got a lot of challenges that, and some of those challenges, right, are reflected in Toledo. Uh, we, we this article and some other things, and I can go so many different ways in this, in this conversation. I'm going to try to get as much as I can, at least in this first 20 minutes. Um, we we kind of have a, a bit of a crisis. Um, pedestrians are, are getting killed at a pretty alarming rate. Um, I know this is probably a concern for you. Um, share some of your thoughts on that. I know there's also a Vision Zero uh, that Sam Meldon is a part of. I like to think that he was kind of like the godfather of all this stuff because two or three years ago, he lives in Old Orchard, and and I he kind of had this movement of slow down Sam Meldon. Stop stop racing through neighborhoods. Right. And I want to loop back into a word I learned in that article, but just get your take on, on the pedestrian trouble we had because to go back to what you talked about with traffic lights, all these things work together, and 
Cars usually injure people, but we got to keep everybody safe. And you're kind of the head of that snake. Yeah, uh, it is. It's a massive undertaking, right? We have we have to control all forms of transportation. We have a lot of different transportation modes, right, that interact uh, within the city of Toledo. You have pedestrians, you have people who utilize bikes, uh, bicycles as a primary form of transportation or a recreational form of transportation. We have vehicles. We also have heavy traffic. You know, Ohio is um, one of the primary industries is freight. Uh, Toledo, one of the primary industries is freight. Um, The intersection of 80 and 75 is something that we all overlook, but it's a big deal. I mean, they're coming straight out of Canada, right? And the road all roads lead through Toledo uh, <laughs> if you're coming off of the port or you're coming out of all of those other places. So when you ever, whenever you have a city that has a lot of these different modes that are kind of colliding together, you have to be extremely, extremely purposeful with the way that you design infrastructure. Otherwise, you end up with with modes mixing. And whenever you have modes that are mixing, it's going to lead to problems. It's going to lead to collisions. And what we know about pedestrians, right, is that, I mean, what you said, pedestrians, when they're mixing modes with vehicles or heavy traffic, pedestrians lose um, every time. And so that's a huge concern. And it's a huge kind of central tenement of everything that we do is trying to protect what in the business we refer to as our most vulnerable road users. And that would be pedestrians, um, people utilizing bicycles or other kinds of alternative forms of transportation. When two objects collide, those are the populations that ultimately, you know, receive the worst injurious kind of effects. So, yeah, we are trying to do a lot of different things to try and, again, separate those modes, create safe infrastructure for all road users. You know, we have a, we have an obligation to try and create roadways so that people can move as swiftly as possible from destination to destination. One of the things that was said to me often when I first started here, you know, I'm new to Toledo relatively, I've only been here two years, is that Toledo's great because you're never farther than 10 minutes away from anything. The 20-minute rule where people use all over the country is truly applicable here. Absolutely. You can get to anywhere, from anywhere in Toledo within 15 minutes because we have built a network that... um, highly prioritizes uh again i'm going to use an industry word throughput uh throughput is the idea of how many vehicles can you notice i said vehicles not people but how many vehicles can you get through a certain section of road within a designated period of time we have prioritized throughput here in the city of toledo historically because all of the reasons that I said before, freight is important. Uh, we want to get people connected. Toledo is a is a larger city, especially for this region of, of Ohio. And so they built it with that intent. Um, something that you talked about a moment ago. Are you familiar in, in the word that I read in this article that I was, I was, it was great. It was serendipitous that I came across this article and we were going to chat today. Are you familiar with the word strode? Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Why don't you explain what that is? Because it, it pretty much crystallized the discussion that we had a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Strode is a is a is a mashup of street and road, where essentially it is a negative word, meaning that it takes the worst aspects of both street design and road design. We have in Toledo, we have a network of strodes, right? Uh, Can you give an example? Sure. Uh, I mean. Reynolds, maybe? Airport? Secor, you know, uh, Alexis, you know, all of these roads would be strodes. Uh, They are designated as primary arterials that, because of the way that they're built and because of the traffic that they see, they are, one, prioritizing throughput. However, they also have a lot of um, usually commercial... uh, you know, it's mixed commercial. So there'll be like Secor has that heavy commercial section, but then you go a little bit south and all of a sudden you're in this residential, you know, kind old, of area. The old orchard, the, 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 na- the straightaway of doom. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, and then what happens is, is that you've, you're mixing 
planning uses, you're mixing road users, you're mixing all of these different things. And one of the things that I said at the beginning of this was that to, to maximize safety, you want to separate modes of travel as much as possible. You want to give everyone, um, you want to give everyone their own kind of infrastructure to utilize. Um, and you want to keep the modes separated. It's impossible to do on a Strode. Is a Strode a Toledo-centric problem, an American problem, an American city problem? Yeah, it's definitely an American city problem. Um, and that's you know that's a really big conversation about why that exists. But in a nutshell, we have been the victims here in the United States of really poor historical planning. We have had cities that have essentially, again, tried to... Th- prioritize throughput in all aspects of our transportation systems. And so what we end up with is these legacy roads, these five lane roads, you know, um, trail. Yeah, sure. I mean, the trail is slightly separated, which kind of means that it's, it, it's more of a highway than anything else. Mm -hmm. But that in itself is a problem, right? It's a highway that runs through primary residential areas. It's, Looking at it in current kind of design sense, in current design understanding, you would look at something like a six-lane divided highway that runs through seven different neighborhoods, and you would go, this is a crazy idea. Yeah. Why would you do that? Why would you create such a disparate separation to the point where, I, I can tell you personally, if I was walking my dog in Belvedere, I'm not going across the trail to the other neighborhoods to see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, w- walking across the trail is you're risking your life. If I'm an if I have elementary school age children and they have friends that live what 400 feet from my house across the trail, I'm getting in a car and I'm driving them there because it it's not a safe piece of infrastructure. Yeah. Um this uh, this Strode thing, uh, Charles Moran. Did I did I pronounce that correctly? He's seemingly the one that coined the term. Okay, um, uh, a road is meant to move people quickly as possible from one location to another, like you said. And engineers designed them to be wide with lots of lanes and clear zones on either side. Streets, on the other hand, are places where people live, shop, eat, and play. And as you've illustrated, they've come together. the The one example here, or the analogy, was um, a, a futon. It's not. It's supposed to be a bed and a couch, and it's not good in either. And that's what a strode is. Right, right. I think you know the the thing that um, whenever people talk about pieces of transportation infrastructure, kind of talking about strodes, but in like um uh, in a facetious way, right? Like look at the worst things that our uh, our car centric society have wrought. Um, you're probably very familiar with it, but Breezewood. Uh, I am not. Breezewood is the terminus of um, the PA Turnpike, where okay. the PA Turnpike runs into uh, 80, which is a road that runs okay. through southern Pennsylvania into Maryland. And all of the pictures of, you see these pictures on the internet of this, you know, eight lane road with like a bazillion fast food restaurants on either side, sign pollution, four or five signalized intersections all within the space of, uh, of a mile. Um, and you look at that and you think, who thought this was a good idea, right? This is an area where essentially it is impossible to be anything other than a driver within this environment. And even then it's not pleasant as a driver. Um, if I want to go to Taco Bell and I'm, I ended up in, I don't know, one of the three leftern lanes, <laughs> I have to merge through seven, you know, seven other drivers to try and get to Taco Bell. And so again, it's creating, it's creating danger where better design um, would have mitigated. So as someone, you are an engineer, uh, your background, you went I'm to- not a- an engineer. You speak like an engineer. I want to clarify, I'm not an engineer. You, in my practice, that is uh, that is considered highly offensive. Okay. I <laughs> didn't mean to offend you. Um, 
I won't tell anybody that you're uh, you're from your U of M person either. Just we'll, we'll okay. Ohio State I feel people. like you've said already yeah. that you said enough. <laughs> um, no more, no more offending Sean because he'll leave. Because I have a lot of important questions, and I think we strayed from what I think uh, some people. I do have the one home run question, which I will, I will give you ninety seconds. Ninety. Ninety seconds to to tell people why this is the right way to go. But I'll come back to to the streets and the Sam Meldon and Vision Zero. Okay. How do we slow people down? Um. That's the question. Yeah. I mean, that's the question. Everybody wants to know, how do I slow people down? How do I slow people down on my street? How do I slow people down on the streets that I live on? However, this is a primary point of tension, right? Because those same individuals that say, how do I slow the people driving past my house also want to be at their destination in 10 minutes? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we get a lot is people who are saying, you've got to do something to my street. Um there are people who are driving 30, 40 miles over the speed limit. And it is, it's insane. And then you look at their street and it is a cul-de-sac. Mm. You know, it is a closed system. These are your neighbors driving past your house. I say that not to, again, not to individualize the problem of speeding. Because I think, as I've said, it is not an individual problem. Um, it is a problem of street design. Um so one of the things that we're doing is looking intently at the the system that we've all inherited here in the city of Toledo that, again, has been the product of many poor planning decisions historically. You know, we could go even deeper and talk about massive disinvestment of neighborhoods due to redlining and all of these other things. But at the end of the day, it's our job, my job, to look at these networks, to listen to community members, and try and figure out ways to slow speeds by altering the dimensions of the road, whether that's through, I'm going to say a word that you're, a lot of people here seem to be scared of, traffic circles, roundabouts, uh, other sorts of traffic uh, or, um, you know, uh, kind of traffic slowing implements that are design functions let me ask you this because i think it's about to begin uh the the, the circles on schneider are about to happen yeah. and i saw that there was discourse on both sides maybe one side was just a couple of people sure. who assumed that now instead of people racing down schneider they will just go around the circle and launch themselves into his property yeah i mean obviously we don't want that to happen right However, I will say that as a, a citizen who has lived in a number of large American cities, uh, I've lived in Philadelphia, I've lived in Baltimore City, I've lived in Washington, D.C., I spent some time in Brooklyn, I know for a fact that these types of constructs are really good at slowing speeds. The way that they you know, have been implemented across the country there have been FHWA, which is the Federal Highway Safety Administration. They have done a number of studies, which when I presented this idea to the administration, to uh, to Councilman Cherry, who was the, you know, kind of brought this to us as something has to be done. These people are, um, they're very unhappy with the way that traffic has been developing. This was an obvious fix because it's something where every dimension of Schneider Road, all of their problems, from everything from their uh, vehicular count to the speeds, to the concerns, to the road type, all built naturally into this, which is like a well, like a very common solution to these sorts of problems. Um, and that's a big part of what I do, is trying to look at best use cases, looking at best planning practice to adapt to certain problems, you know, bring these sorts of things that I know about and that, you know, I have studied and bring them to bear to solve, you know, citizens' concerns. To, to satisfy as many people as poss possible, safely, scientifically, mathematically. Yeah. So I'm sorry, sir. Those people are unlikely to launch themselves into your home. Unless the circles dizzy them. And I do get dizzied. I do get dizzied coming off of 475 yeah. with the back to back to back to get to uh, to Reynolds or McCord. Sure. Um, uh, that You did answer the 90 seconds I was going to give you about roundabouts. That was a good answer about why these are safer. Yeah. Let me jump uh, to, to another topic. Talk about more bikeability, which I know is something uh, some citizens in our city want. I don't know how many people 
want that. Yeah. Um, considering what they might lose, there are already some people who have gripes with the bike lanes that have been built. Hmm. Um, we have discussion now about the bike lane coming to the trail. What's the bikeability future for here in Toledo? So, can I address some of those directly? Everything, yeah, yeah, great, by great, all great. means. So, I think that I'll answer this broadly, and then I'll I'll maybe uh, narrow down into a more uh, selective answer. People generally want to live in communities where um, where bikeability is higher, and I will I will frame that because I'm sure a lot of people listening are going I I don't bike I don't want to. Those individuals stand to gain sometimes the most from bicycles and bicycle infrastructure being present. All of the same concerns that people are bringing up about things like vehicle speed and feeling unsafe to walk and uh, our commercial our commercial corridors are, are atrophying and all of these different things. Building infrastructure that allows people to bike safely, uh, to utilize cycling as a form of transportation, right, addresses a lot of these things. When you place bicycle infrastructure... You slow traffic down because you're narrowing the you know the width of the roadway. Uh, you're promoting um, commerce. People on bikes. This has been proven in many many different studies. They spend more. They stop at more locations. They engage with businesses on a what we call a human scale. Um, also, to those who can you know concerned about bicycles slowing them down or you know we already have a bunch of traffic why would you put a bike trail well when you build bicycle facilities you take people who would normally be in cars and you put them on bicycles a note in that article that i was reading which seems to have you somewhat intrigued so so far there was a note in there that said it, it, it has been conventional wisdom over the years in america with some of these infrastructure problems well if the road's busy let's just widen the roads and then that puts more cars on the road more cars on the roads this would do the reverse more people will bike and what you're saying makes a lot of sense if i'm biking a lot maybe i don't have a car i have a little bit more disposable income a bike hitting a person is probably going to be less deadly than a car hitting a person sure. and i want to jump ahead a little bit for the time that we have here but yeah we'll keep going okay biking also pairs up pretty nicely with we're trying to build better public transit here sure absolutely i mean you know public transit works hand in hand with sort of these these things like bicycle facilities um transit as we know suffers from a huge unanswered problem and that's called the last mile problem you once you're on the bus the bus takes you to a destination that's a relatively pleasant experience no matter what city you're in however where that drops off is how do i get to the bus stop how far away from the house uh, from my house is the bus stop how far away is the bus stop from where i'm going uh, for recreation for commerce for work um these are the questions that remain unanswered that are different and more challenging, frankly, for some cities rather than others. Here in Toledo, we've got a huge gap on that last mile. The scooters are trying to help that. The scooters is an implement. Absolutely. The scooters are a tool to try and solve or alleviate some of that last mile uh, concerns. But yeah, it's, it's a big deal uh, trying to figure out the answer to those questions and creating a denser environment, more walkability, higher bikeability. Those are all direct answers to the last mile problem. Let me ask you this. And again, I appreciate your visit here. How can people find out more of what you're talking about? How can they reach out to you? Because it seems like a large portion of your job is to listen to people and implement what's best or convince them what will be best for them. So how do they get in touch with you? How can they get your ear? So I think that I want to start by saying, and I'll lean into, I know we're going to address it a little bit later, but the Vision Zero process is something that is really built around community input. That's going to be something that's community driven uh, in all aspects of it. We have recently had our first stakeholder meeting where we had a number of different stakeholders from not just the city, but, you know, we had private industry there. We had, um, you know, a lot of county uh, and regional partners, schools were represented, YMCA, a lot of different people were, um, were associated with that. And our next step is going to be taking it directly to citizens. We're going to have a number of pop-ups. Those are going to be opportunities for citizens to engage directly with the idea of what do they believe would make their community safer so that's why the Vision Zero process is really important and really exciting. Um, I would say that in the immediate, Engage Toledo uh, is an awesome tool. I know you had Jenny yeah. on a couple of weeks ago. Engage Toledo is going to be an awesome tool for reporting what I would refer to as you know um, unwanted traffic 
patterns, unwanted traffic behaviors. If you live in a residential area, if you live in a neighborhood and you feel like there are issues, you're struggling with speeding vehicles, you're struggling with overflow traffic, you know, people are trying to cut the light but cutting through your neighborhood, these sorts of things, um, bring them to Engage Toledo because those all come to my desk. Um, I can't promise that I can solve all of them in like a terrifically expeditious way. But what it does give me is the opportunity to contextualize those complaints with other projects that are going on. Specifically, when we go and uh, repave a street, when we rebuild a street as part of our just regular maintenance, it's my, it's my job to make sure that we don't rip that street up and put it back the exact same way it was if we have a number of citizen concerns, if we have evidence that this isn't working, this design is not working. We have to redesign it. Um, community segment over. Now we push forward. Okay. Um, there was something, I think, God, it might have been over the weekend. There, there, was, uh, there was a story about the complaints. Uh, about construction on Alexis. I know Alexis, and I don't get up that way much, sure. but I wanted your take on it. I know um, in the spring, we had some pretty serious accidents sure. from what I gathered, and maybe we talked about this before. Uh, it had become a bit of a drag strip. Sure. Um, now the construction, some of the complaints in that article, I think from were WTOL, um, those people who wanted to get, get to work quickly were unable to do so, and they had to reroute themselves. Right. And part of that, I was thinking was like, you are behind the wheel. I mean, it is, you can't blame the construction for your bad driving or inattentiveness for a situation like that. Like, what's going on up there? Uh, you know, there's an age-old saying, right, is that when you look around, you are not in traffic, you are traffic. So, Alexis suffers from a similar effect, right? You talked a little bit about that that irony, I want Alexis, this fixed, but I don't want to be inconvenienced. Alexis is a is a is an overbuilt, you know, state road that is our primary east west connector on the northern side of the city. It prioritizes again throughput. When you prioritize throughput, you're prioritizing speed. When you're prioritizing speed, you are not not fully raising the rate of accidents. I want to make that clear because there is some merit to the fact that engineers for so long have decided, oh, just build it wider and wider, wider, give them wider lanes, wider lanes. You do have slightly less accidents if you build, a, overbuild this, these roadways. But what you get instead is that when those accidents occur, they are horrific, yeah. right? Um, so, because speed is the compounding factor in all of this. Alexis is... Um, is a huge challenge. What we're doing right now, um, and again, you know, acknowledging that this couldn't be fast enough, we are doing a corridor study uh, looking at everything from trying to get our, you know, ADT average uh, daily travelers through the section of Alexis to see how that number has changed from our previous speed studies, taking average speeds, taking what um, engineers and traffic engineering refer to as the 85th percentile. The 85th percentile is the speed at which 85% of travelers are moving at or under. Um, and then from there, you know, taking that data and trying to apply it in a realistic fashion about how, how can we work with ODOT on Alexis to slow drivers um, while still maintaining the highest amount of throughput that we can. Is, is one of those things staggering the lights? One of those things, typically you don't want to stagger the lights. And th this is, again, this is the natural competition between all of these different modes in traditional engineering. Traditional engineering, when you look at signalized intersections, they are delivered uh, or assessed a LOS grade, which is a level of service. LOS, again, is a product of how many vehicles can you move through within a light signal cycle. Um, so timing the lights so that they're all green, all red, all green, all red, that contributes directly to your LOS, and you want that LOS high. However, when you have a high LOS, you don't have higher speeds. Yes. And so now you begin the like the Ouroboros is a snake eating its tail. You have these goals, you have these objectives where you're like, we really want to slow speeds down because this stuff is scary. People are getting hurt and people are getting killed. Um, 
And then at the same time, when you make any kind of huge change that would impact drastically speeds and throughput, it becomes a point of contention, right? Because you're, you're slowing people's lives. You're, you're taking time away that they could be with their families. Dinner, I've never missed it. It's always been at six. And I know that if I leave at 5.51 from my office, I will always make it by six. And yesterday I got home at 6.08 and like, I can't live like this, right? I, I think we might have briefly talked about uh, me back home in Philadelphia, Roosevelt Boulevard. One, mm. are you familiar with it at all? A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple intersections. One, I think it's Roosevelt and Grant, one of the most deadly in the country. Every time those things come out, um, after there had be, there had been too many flowers planted on the on the islands of the boulevard. It's kind of similar, but bigger than the trail. Um, from deaths, they staggered the lights, and what people did was. Instead of racing two miles at a time, they they raced from light to light. Sure. So, and it, I hope people are picking up what you're putting down here. Like, we want to make things easier for you. We want you to get where you want to go in a timely manner, but we also have to manage safety into that as well. Absolutely. And and I think that one of the big things about Vision Zero, and I'm, I'm going to go step yeah. back to it because it is really important, is that what Vision Zero does, more than just create a little plan and, and, and try and engage with communities about problems that they see, it is a reimagining of how we prioritize our end results of transportation planning and, and engineering. It takes those things like the 85th percentile speed and those level of service concerns, and it essentially flips them on their heads. And it says the most important thing that you can do when looking at a road, building a piece of transportation infrastructure, is making it foolproof. Making it so safe that no one could possibly get hurt on it. It's possible. To build networks like that. Um, we see it across the country and really across the world. The Netherlands, you know, that's every urbanist favorite uh, favorite whipping boy. They've done it, right? They've banned cars from cities, from urban centers. They've created these like uh, meticulously uh, maintained bicycle networks. Um, we're not there yet here in the United States, but we can take lessons learned from those things and apply them to our networks now with the intention of creating a, a safe infrastructure network? Um, I think I can ask this two different ways, uh, but I'll start with this. There has been some some essays, some murmurings of people wanting to remove, and we're removing all kinds of language these days. This, this, this I, I think it makes some sense. A lot of the things we call accidents are not that at all, right? Especially in the last couple of years. And I think this might have been ramping up even before we hit COVID. And then the anecdotal data from COVID was less people on the roads. People sped up and they never really slowed down. Um, and then I'll weave into that also. How much of this, and, and it's a bigger problem with cars killing pedestrians than in other countries, but I can't help but look at our phones, as being a, a major cause of that. I know that's a lot of questions there. Accidents, accidents speeding up, reckless driving during COVID, the red lights being deactivated right now, people knowing that. And of course, I, I, I can't believe, I mean, it terrifies me when I see an older post, person playing with their phone when they're driving. A kid, at least you're on your phone all day long. But when Al is messing with his phone, I am frightened on airport highway. I will clarify that I believe that no road users should be utilizing your cell phone. Completely! There is no level of comfort, I think, possible with seeing anyone traveling uh, at any speed utilizing a phone. Can I ask you a, a stone-cold question with that? Again, we're, we're this is just podcast now. Stone Far cold. less reach. W would you like it if there were such extreme measures and these things get bandied about? Um, car companies, which they'll never do, limiting the speed of a vehicle and or completely locking down your phone. Ah, we're getting into slight politics. But this I is, don't know if that's politics. I, I everything think that is politics. In terms, of like, in terms of engineering policy, trying to trying to alleviate a problem that the automotive companies themselves created by, by again, individualizing failure is like a... It just That's like a silly thing. I think that... One, uh, we have an issue in this country that other countries, frankly, just don't have. We overbuild everything about our roadways, including our vehicles. SUVs have been the number one selling vehicle in this country for 25 years at this point. 
This article proved it has also said they are getting the trucks, SUVs, and everything are getting bigger. They've been getting bigger every year, right? <clears throat> and every year since 1998, uh, you used to be able to buy a, a six foot bed, you know, uh, crew cab, and that same vehicle now, that same Ford Ranger, has increased in size by 30, 40 percent. Consumers, American consumers, for some reason, have been convinced that what they want is a larger car. Bigger, faster. They want the Ram 2500. They want the eight-foot bed. They want the double crew cab with the lariat seats and the you know the eight the grill that's eight foot off the ground. It is a scientific fact that if you get hit by a big truck, you're going to die. And so that's the kind of thing that we're looking at with all of these things. And the fact that they've also now, and all of these new models, have begun installing television screens and uh, all these different things that you now have to have a rear-facing camera because, frankly, have you ever driven a Ram 2500? You can't see behind you. You have to have these sorts of tools and wisdom, magags and doodads uh, just to be able to to maneuver the vehicles and they're bypassing all of these things that used to be mandatory for driving these large vehicles. You don't need a CDL to own a 2,500. I'm picking on Ram 2,500. <laughs> Clearly. I'll be also, I'll be clear that I have the data that shows that that is the most commonly owned, uh, vehicle model in the city of Toledo. Um, so I'm speaking to all of those people when I say uh, downsize your car. In Europe, they have very specific regulations against vehicular size. Uh, uh, you know, Asia has the same issues. They regulate the size of vehicles. You can't buy these sorts of oversized vehicles in in some of these other countries. This is some of the thing we talked about when I sat in your office. Like we we love our car stuff here. It's yeah. it's in our DNA. Like you oh, will yeah. never shrink the size and the, and putting a speed limit. I could only see that in some minority report future where the cities did it. Uh -huh. But I do wish, and how many, I mean, maybe as more and more pedestrians get killed as we continue to rev our engines and, and with our big vehicles, mm -hmm. there will be more of a push finally rather than an AT&T bumper sticker saying put down your phone where something like many people do, I think it was like a Ford focus thing or something. Um, some people will shoot you a text back. Hey, I'm driving. I'll get back to you. If we could lock our phones, we would probably save thousands of lives, several thousand lives pretty quickly. If we did that. And, and again, I mean, I think that, and this is a, this is a big frustration that I have with, with come closer to the mic. Oh, my apologies. As you get very pensive. Yeah. 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 The, uh, this is a huge problem with, Frankly, our federal leadership, USDOT has, in my memory, um, not been performing as a, as a true regulatory agency. USDOT has the power to put strict controls upon the design of new vehicles. United States in the global economy is the single largest produce, or excuse me, consumer of vehicles. We buy more vehicles in the U.S. than the rest of the world combined. Um, great number. That's a great number. And what it also does <clears throat> is it gives us the unique opportunity to shape the creation and design of vehicles across the world. Not just the country, but the world. And it's a missed opportunity. The United States government, USDOT, has never, ever put forward any kind of regulatory, even guidance, about what manufacturers should be designing their vehicles to do um, or what the limits of them are. And so I think that that's a huge missed opportunity and something that I, you know, I rail against uh, if you get me a couple drinks in me uh, is that USDOT should be more proactive about acting frankly as a regulatory agency sure. rather than a cheerleader for for industry. We have we have that across a lot of our government. I mean, we have seen that institutions have failed us in this country and a lot of places over the last couple of years and these these sores have been ripped open and we've got a lot of we got what a lot image. of challenges. Hey, sorry. <laughs> it, it, it's it's been an ugly couple of years and yeah. um you know let me go back instead of spreading things out. Should we not call them accidents any, anymore? Because an accident is like like a, a true rarity, like a, something unlucky in a ser serendipitous in an unlucky way. The accident is usually caused because somebody's not paying attention or they're being careless or reckless. So 
I'm actually reading a book called, um, I believe it's called There Are No Accidents, um, but it's a relatively recent book. It's probably where the essays I'm reading are coming from. It might be. Uh, accidents, again, is like a, is a weird socially charged word that we've created specifically to alleviate individual responsibility. Um we do not have Jesse Singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do not have accidents here in the United States. We have crashes. We have crashes and <laughs> fatalities, and that's not just the United States; it's the world over. But accidents again is it? It draws back to this idea of, um, you know, what should happen to an individual uh, when they're driving their car and they hit and kill someone. It's it's a convenient social creation to say, oh, it was a, it was a tragic accident. Um, you were tragically on your phone. You were, or, you were, or you were tragically on using the street as a cyclist or tragically using walking across the street as a pedestrian. You know, again, we have fully ceded um, the, the, the streets to vehicles. Um, there's a lot of individuals who feel very strongly that the street is no place for any user outside of, of someone driving a vehicle, right? And we as a society can't allow that to continue being the narrative. So the word accident is something that has been struck for a couple of years now, I believe, from most, most transportation professional, most urbanists, vocabulary singularly because we refuse to look at these things through a social lens of 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 zero culpability these are crashes they're tragic um sometimes unfortunate you know sometimes uh unintended but they're never accidents there's always a cause or a reason there's always a cause there's always a purpose and there's always uh there's always, you know, at some point along the way, someone made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's in the planning portion. Sometimes that's in the individual drivers. Sometimes that's just in the infrastructure of, uh, you know, the institutions that are interacting with this. When you, um, when you look at the cost of car ownership and you see which populations are restricted from owning and operating motor vehicles, and then you look at the design of their neighborhoods that those people live in and what have you know, historically been the design standards for those parts of those neighborhoods, which, you know, uh, prioritize getting through those neighborhoods rather than being in those neighborhoods. And then you look at these people who have no cars, who don't have the money and resources to have cars, who are utilizing only walking as a form of transportation. And then all of the roads that ring their communities are prioritizing extremely fast vehicular speeds and lots of throughput and you think this isn't an accident no it's it's set up to murder people sure. in a lot of ways yeah. um a little bit beyond this i always have a, a soft point a point of anger for duis from mm -hmm. driving yeah. and you've already illustrated this over the last 40 minutes and thanks for your time um now more than ever, I get so upset. I get so angry. A friend of mine the other day just went to a, a Sam Hunt concert and took mm. a picture with him. I He got nailed for DUI a handful of years or so ago. He took his uh, country singer, took his lumps, but back out there. And there are countless DUIs every day. Mm. And we get very upset when we see the horrors of school shootings and whatnot. But as you've already illustrated, vehicles are far more commonly deadly and I get I get so angry and it just hits my heart when somebody decides to drink and drive mm. because you are driving a weapon that mm. can mow people down. And especially now, um, I know Uber and Lyfts have some, some pock marks on them, mm. but there are plenty of friends and it is in many ways, in my opinion, and you can refute this if you want, with DUIs and, and people dying, mm. completely preventable. Completely preventable. I will also say that I think that this is, again, another great example of how we've individualized institutional failures. Drunk driving is bad. You shouldn't drive drunk. Uh, it's, you know, it's not fun for anyone else. Um, but we've created a society where we do not have accessible options. If you can't walk 
to uh, an establishment for entertainment, if you can't utilize public transit, if you can't, you know, utilize ride sharing, if you've created an entertainment district that is inaccessible by any other means than driving a vehicle there, you have created an environment where it is inevitable that you will have drunk driving. That's on you, man. Those are the institutions at work. You've you to then spin around and point at an individual and say, oh, man, that guy made a bad choice. Well, that that's not going to fly to a family of a, of a dead kid or a judge. No, you're right. No, I, I'm not usual. I'm not utilizing this as a defense of the practice. I'm utilizing that as an example of why, again, all of these decisions are institutionalized failings. When you or your family are injured by someone who is behaving irresponsibly, who has, you know, gone, they've drank too much, they've lost control of their vehicle, and they've now they've now put you, you know, in the hospital, hurt people that you love. That person made a series of bad choices. We as a society, we as leaders of these institutions, we can create a system where that individual never does that. And yet we don't, right? Why is it that we create these entertainment districts in these kinds of like weird black holes for all of these other types of transportation? Why do we leave them disconnected? Um, these are solvable problems. And that's what I'm trying to say is that they're solvable at an institutional level. However, we don't do anything with them. And then when tragedy happens, when crashes occur, we attempt, and we have a bad habit of doing this in this country, we individualize the issues. Oh, they shouldn't have been uh, looking at the, you know, the 15-inch monitor that's been placed on the dashboard of their car. Oh, you know, they shouldn't have driven by themselves to, you know, to this point of entertainment that's inaccessible by any other means. You know, it's all of these different things where absolutely... Everything you said is correct, and I would never condone any of these activities. They are bad. However, we create them. We create them, and they are solvable and preventable. Um, how come I've never come across, and maybe you have, at least the attempt of some intrepid lawyer to go, he wouldn't have driven drunk if public transit was more possible? I'm absolutely positive that it has been utilized as uh, some form of defense. I think that, again, if you're familiar with the American judicial system, um, quite clunky, especially these days. Well, it has a habit. <laughs> it has a habit of individualizing failures, right? Um, but that goes back to this country and its an initial DNA, which has manifested itself loudly in the last couple of years. Everything, me, 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 my choice, my individuality, my liberty, and with that comes blame for your decisions that injure others look at mental health as a just like a, I do as every, like an, every day as like a huge thing right that's a perfect example of how we've created the problems we've created isolation we've created separation of man from the means of production and labor and all these different things that have led to social isolation and then when that individual acts out hurts themselves hurts others we again we go wow that guy was crazy, right? It's an individualization of institutional causes and problems. Reactive here rather than proactive. Hundred um, percent. It is also a lot, and and I'll move us on after this. One of the things that I think uh, people overlook in their discussion of how the brilliance of the founders and whatnot, mm. people often like to say, "Well, they, they didn't know, you know, they didn't understand like the, the caliber of weapons." That's the common thing. They didn't know about the internet. I don't think they had any grasp of trying to govern 330 million people 250 years ago. And to do that and to get a lot of those people on the same page is immeasurably challenging, maybe impossible. And that leads to what you're pointing out. The institutions, if they were better leaders, would take a lot of these problems out of our hands. Mm. What do you do for fun around here, Mr. Michigan? Man, Mr. Mr. DC, if you want real traffic, Sean will take you back to DC and show you real traffic. <laughs> I've used that line before. I have uh, uh, when people call me and say, I'm, I'm, "It's crazy on Secret. It took me almost ten minutes to get past the Chick Fil A, and then I'm like, I'm gonna put you on 495." Do you know about the Culvers? Uh, do I know of Culvers? There's a Col the City Council last week just to prove that a Culvers can go onto Executive Parkway. I'm excited. 
Are you? Why not? I mean, it, it will slow people down even more. Let's go, man. Do you know that they widened that road about eight years ago? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a constant conversation. We're, we're uh, uh, even now, right, with how eloquently I've put forth all these ideas. You have. I've defended these ideas just as eloquently to, you know, to city leadership. And it still can be a, something that needs to be discussed is, you know... Um, and I won't go into like the, you know, the nerdy stuff about induced demand and all this other stuff, but yeah, we're still doing this. This is still engineering best practice. It just happens to be at odds with planning best practice. So, um, what do I do for fun? I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm a big, I'm a big music guy. Uh, I, you know, I used to play in a lot of, you know, punk and hardcore bands. I'm a big kind of like punk hardcore nerd. Um, I've been going to Ottawa Tavern uh, a lot. Um, really, really nice guy named Zach that owns that spot. Mm -hmm. With um, an incredible new menu. Great food. Uh, great food. Um, great staff. Uh, they've had a handful of like really neat shows. Some that I've been able to to kind of facilitate with, with some street closures. He's done some outdoor concerts, which have been really fun. So you're in access to get me a block party, right? I'm the block party guy. <laughs> I'm the block party guy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you know, I, I do a lot of those. Um, you know, I love I love baseball, so I've gone to quite a few Mudhens games. Sometimes I'll drive up to Detroit if the Nats are playing. Uh, so you are a Nationals fan. I'm a big Nationals fan. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. So they're they're gonna get rid of Soto. They need to. I, I don't want to talk about can, it. Can I? Can I, <laughs> I don't want to talk about I, it. Let me well, get, once in a generation talent, and we're gonna go ahead and they're killing me. Like, there's been two people in my life. Uh, Cabrera, at least hitting wise but he and Manny if we could talk sports were yeah, just yeah. savants of hitters and, and it sure. kind of ended with that um, Mike Trout obviously maybe he's right there with Barry Bonds to Oof. me the greatest player of my lifetime and I love that he's got like he's a big Philly fan um, and when Soto started to come around and, and you'd hear Ted Williams I'm a baseball history nerd and they were not wrong um Here's my here's my solution for the Nets, and I'll get you out of here in ten minutes. No, you're all right. They want to, uh, they they need to, to. They're trying to get rid of Corbin as well. Here's my solution. <laughs> the Corbin thing ends sooner than the Strasburg thing does. Okay. So send them both with Soto. Oh, jeez. Sorry, but nobody's brought that up. Like the Strasburg contract is worse than Corbin. At least Corbin hits the mound. Listen, now, it's bad. I'm. Listen, I have been a Nats fan since the day that they came back. 2005? That's right. Uh, I went to opening day. Uh, I have, you know, I used to work at D.C.'s Department of Transportation, which is 500 feet from the stadium. I would go see three games a week. I, I love the Nats. But we won that World Series, and they started, you know, the money machine. You know, we got... We got rid of Harper first, and then we got rid of Scherzer, and now we're sitting on Soto's contract, and, you know, I'm tired of being the franchise that's always rebuilding, and that goes yeah, for the Nats. It's the, the Marlins. The, 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 what are they now, the Commanders? It goes for, uh, I mean, even DC United. I mean, we've got all these great franchises that are just... It's killing me, man. But, Many yeah. people would kill for what Washington has and has not accomplished in baseball since their return, as opposed to other teams. Yeah. And that Scherzer contract, it will get talked about when he goes into the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And I was doing sports talk in Detroit, okay. where it was May of 2012. Ooh, he and was a Tiger, right? He was. Yeah, yeah. And he was, as I suggested at the time, he wasn't this guy. No. Um, he looked like a guy who needed to be converted to a closer. Sure. His brother died. Right. God is, like, I, it, it, like it centered him. And he became a whole new pitcher. And it is, it is arguably the greatest high-dollar pitching, pitching contract in 
history. Those things, those things are signed with Tommy John elbow surgery and blown out shoulders. <laughs> and all he did was win, 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 and get better and better. I don't yeah. think he had a down year in that contract. No, he's he's he was an animal, and he so still is. Your, you take know. your World Series and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. I, it's all I have. All right. I'm so sorry. Um, it's funny you'll you'll like this when I first moved out to Detroit in 2099, uh, but this is like 01, 02. Mm-hmm. First couple of years of the of Comerica Park. The Tigers suck. They, they were on the eve of like 119 losses. Yeah. I, um, you familiar with the Fisher building outside of downtown Detroit? I'm not super familiar, no. Okay, it's right up the road, uh, okay. right up Woodward. And some friends and I would go to ball games at night before I would go do my overnight shift. One day, the Tiger. One evening, the Tigers are playing the Montreal Expos. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Super cheap to get into the ballpark. Go watch Vlad. If you've been to a Tigers Nationals game, oh, yeah. the the attendance at both games were probably similar in the, in the single digit thousands. <laughs> Plenty of sections available. Hey, short lines for beer and hot dogs. Yes. I love it, man. Um, well, thanks for doing this. I'm glad we got to chat. Uh, I'm glad you. I don't know if you like it here or not, but you're working hard to make this place better, even if a lot of people don't realize it. Because I was thinking about this today, how how I was going to frame all this. You're very much like, but maybe feel more of the brunt than the weather person. Like, no, <laughs> no, nobody gives Chris Vickers, Ryan Weekman, um, Jay Burschbeck any credit for day like today. But if it starts raining or oh, there's sure. torrential weather, it's oh, yeah. their fault. And when, oh, they, yeah. when they interrupt the Browns game for oh, severe weather, yeah. it's... Meanwhile, here you are ripping up roads, inconveniencing people. Oh, sure. Telling them that they're going to be safe with these roundabouts. Yeah. I can't imagine your voicemail. It's actually not that full. Uh, I'm a I'm a likable guy. I think you it's are. What it, I think that comes with the job too. Is that you have to be um, you have to be understanding of people because this. I think that we talked about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we first talked. But but roads transportation is really it's an emotional thing for a lot of people. Um, and some people don't realize how emotional it is for them. It's, it rules, right? It's at the center of every day. Your every day is controlled in some way or shape or form by transportation. How did you feel going from place to a place? Um, how did that affect your mood? How did that affect the rest of your day? Was it easy? Was it hard? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Did you see somebody on their phone and you didn't like it and you were mad and blah, blah, blah. And these all things can, can snowball and they can ruin your day or they can make it. Uh, I got from one side of Toledo to the other in six minutes and uh, I've had the best day ever. You know, those kinds of things. I hit every green light, right? Uh, It really does become an emotional issue for people. So when I talk to people, I try to keep that in mind. Um, Listen to them. Listen to what they want. Listen to their concerns. And then try and use what little expertise that I've cobbled together in, you know, my career to, to... to address those concerns. And that's really what I do. I think who you are and what you are and the knowledge that you have, it, how old are you, 30? 33. 33. Um, I was expecting when and Jenny- single. <laughs> You're not getting any girls on this show. Sorry, you gave them the wrong spot. I, I can take right. you out places, though. I, I, I was not expecting who you were when Jenny introduced you oh, sure. introduced us. Yeah. And I'm sure there are other people when you come out to events and whatnot, even though you're you're uh, you're suited up a lot better um, when you're standing next to Sam Meldon. There. There's no visual component to the show, correct? No, 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 no. Okay, because no. we could pretend that I'm wearing a suit right now. He looks great right yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I expected maybe like some 63-year-old Toledo bureaucrat who okay. should have retired eight years ago mm-hmm. and is just counting the next 15 minutes till his next bro- smoke break. Uh, sure. And he doesn't want to give anybody uh, bike paths and doesn't want to hear the Tarta bullshit <laughs> and you are everything that isn't that. So yeah. I appreciate it. I, and again, I'm all about having um, great dynamic people here because the city has so much potential. And for many people who think downtown is phenomenal, Mm. um, if I had to put a number on, it's only like 62% done. Like it's got a long way to go. For sure. The whole city's got a long way to go. And I think that it's got, but I think that it's got great bones. It's got great people. um, And, and with good leadership and, and people who really do, you know, see themselves as stewards of, of all of these different things that interact with people on a daily basis, we can really build build something out of the city. Last thing, favorite restaurant. Oof. Where you spent most of your food money here, and I don't want to hear DoorDash. I uh, I really like I really like Beirut. Okay, um, great I, spot. I really enjoyed Beirut. I think that they're probably one of the better. 
that little bar that they have mm-hmm. is like it's like so cozy and intimate. It's like a really cool space. Um, I think where else? I eat a lot of pizza from Stubborn Brothers. That's Stubborn Brothers is great. Do you, do you know do you know their thing? What's their thing? So I got pushed over there because I was told they have like legit East Coast pizza. I'm like, okay, okay. I've heard that a thousand times. Sure, but sure, sure. then I was told, and I think it's on the menu, they have a filtration system that mimics the water that we were told not to drink as kids. Oh. Um, I had a water filter when I was like six because my mom was like, there's too much fluoride in the water. Spit oh. it out. They can mimic no, the water. I've been eating lead paint since I was like three. So. Me too. Yeah, Licking yeah, the walls. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, they have a water filtration system that can mimic the water back east. So the crust has a very east coast taste and texture. That, that kind of flour on your hands. That's very interesting. If you're not too drunk to, to, to miss the taste. Sure. But it is really good. It is definitely the closest thing I've found to, to east coast pizza. And um, to the chagrin of my employees, it is really the only palatable pizza that I've found in, in Toledo. Give Mama Mary's a shot. I, I like Jets. I'll be honest. I'm okay. a, I do like some Detroit style, uh, you know, pizza. Mama Mary's. That's Mama Mary's. Okay. Okay. Big slice is good. Um, when I go home, I eat a lot. I try to like fast oh, for a brother. couple of days before I go Listen, home. Listen, the gone are the days where I used to be able to go to a bar and they'd have buck shuck and I, you know, I'd eat like 16 oysters and I'd drink seven, uh, you know, seven Miller High Lice and I'd, uh, it's a different city. I got to find different stuff, right? You know, I got to find different types of uh, experiences. Well, thanks again for the time. Yeah, man. It was great. Thanks.